0: Day. and we will not be having the Lord's Supper. None of the ruling elders are here. <laughs> uh, one of them is still recovering from a surgery and the other one uh, just found out he got COVID last night. I don't know when, how long he's had it. I don't know when or how long he's had it. So he's staying home sick. He's not. He's. I don't know how... Sick, he is, but he's sick. He feels sick and he's kind of sick on the phone. Uh, so, pray for him. As well, remember, how we lost a, a member in our church because of COVID, uh, and then someone else was on oxygen because of COVID. Uh, so, my family is going to wear a mask if we're near you. So, in case I happen to have it, but I'm asymptomatic, I have no symptoms. Uh, Prayfully, nothing will come of it. The newer strands aren't as bad as the last I heard. So, prayerfully, it's a newer strand and he will recover, and we won't be sick, and we can carry on. Otherwise, um, well, that means the (laughs) bulletin has changed. There's no Lord's Supper, so the order is broken up down there. So the sermon will be on Deuteronomy uh, 32, 44 to 47. I believe um, Tripp sent out an email on that. I don't know if he got to that. I don't think I saw it. But I gave him the information, he said he was going to send it on. So Deuteronomy 32, 44 through 47. Uh, I will repeat the outline when I get there. And we'll have Hymn 138a at the end, before the benediction. Hymn 138a, I'll say that and repeat it. So Just follow me, and I probably shouldn't steer you too wrong. Otherwise, we have the call to worship. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who has made heaven and earth. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. bow hearts and hands a sound of preparation for worship. Let us stand and let us sing Hymn 445. It's different than what's in the uh, bulletin because things have changed. No more Lord's Supper. Hymn 445, at least for today. God above, we're grateful that we can sing your names, Lord, and that we can speak your word to one another. Help us, God, to continue to instruct one another in your word as we are called in our various positions in life, God, especially to those nearest to us. And we ask, God, for your spirit to be with us in special measure this day as we come before you to sing praises and to hear your word, we pray, as we uh, are gathered here and we pray in accordance to the Lord's prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. As it was in the beginning, it is now and ever shall be, world without end, all of all. You may be seated. We have Psalm 42, which is an insert inside the bulletin. Psalm 42. Um, okay. Make sure everyone has a bulletin and uh, a hymnal. Psalm 42 is the insert. It's a boldface, which is the parts I will read, and you will read the non-boldface. As a deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, Where is your God? Why you cast down, O my soul, and why you disquieted within me? Hope in God for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. I will say to the God my rock, Why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. In, in this psalm, as we read in other psalms, you'll so we go through the psalms, uh, hopefully start seeing patterns and themes. Uh, one of them here is uh, they mock him and yell at him, you know, where's your God? Where's your deliverer? Where's your deliverance now? You, you're in a tight spot. Why do you bother trusting in him? And he, he himself is distraught. He, he talks to himself, right? You, can, you read this psalm, and we've sung this psalm, I'm sure. We've sung a lot of the psalms. And you see yourself. You talk to yourself, <laughs> in a good way, I think. And here, he convinces himself. This is why it's important to pray. One of the reasons why is that God uses it to wake up your mind and your heart to the truth of his word. And he convinces himself, why are you cast down? David, what are you doing here? Who cares what the enemy thinks? You're supposed to hope in God. That's what really matters. And you will ultimately praise him, for God is your help. Although it will be in his time and his way, but it will be there. Let us pray. As we are here this morning, God, as we are here hoping in you and trusting in you and relying upon you and crying out for help and mercy and continued growth and grace, we bring our sins and violations, God, acknowledging, Lord, that we have in thought, word, and deed, one way or another, and violated some parts of your law. Certainly somewhere in the second commandment, God, the laws that cover our relation to our neighbor, to ourselves, to one another, to our family. Help us, God, to learn your word, as we hear this morning, so that we can have a more tender conscience to your law and repent accordingly. To acknowledge the sin in our words, if they are there in our thoughts, if they reside in our deeds, if we have used our hands and our feet, God, to sin, may we repent not only to those whom we've sinned against, God, but always ultimately to you, in which all sins are a violation of your law and your holiness. And so, Lord, in light of that truth, a lot of the struggle that we have against sin within ourselves and sin around us, we rely and try and cry out to you, Lord, and trust in your love and your mercy and the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're thankful, Lord, for that long suffering, for the promises of your word, God, that we can bring our sins before you. And as a father, you will forgive us. You look at us differently, Lord. We're no longer those under judgment. For Christ has taken our judgment, but those under grace and those in a new family, we are adopted, and you are our Father, and we are your children. We are thankful, Lord, for your special providence in giving us preaching, giving us your word, giving us one another, giving us a church, giving us a denomination, giving us a multiplicity of churches here in America, God, and our great heritage in the past, Lord, that has sustained us so far, but is being wiped away slowly, one by one. Help us, we pray, God, to continue to rely upon you no matter what happens around us in this nation, in our neighborhoods, in our lives, to do the right thing regardless, to always trust in you. Help us with our health situation, God, as we pray for our elders who cannot make it because one is recovering from surgery and another has found out recently, God, he has COVID. And so, Lord, we pray for his protection. We have lost members in our church because of COVID and others, Lord, have been on oxygen. It was so bad. We pray, Lord, nothing serious would happen to him. It would be a light version of it. And the rest of us will stay safe, not only for COVID, God, for other ailments in our lives and chronic sicknesses that are upon us, Lord. Some of us, especially as age comes upon us, have problems and concerns about us, Lord. And we pray for them. We pray for our brothers and sisters that they would persevere and know that the resurrection is coming, God, that Jesus shall return and we will have a better body, Lord, and not racked by the effects of sin. For a new heaven and a new earth, Lord, we long for. We lift up, God, our church and our denomination, for our church to be faithful to you, Lord, to acknowledge our sins, that our leadership, God, would be, uh, continue to be open to your truth and guidance from your word to protect the flock and to feed her, we pray, and also for our presbytery, the regional gathering of the churches, Lord, through Colorado and the Dakotas and Wyoming and Utah uh, to do the right thing and to help one another, Lord, and to... God, exercise the ministry of prayer and oversight of the churches, Lord, to help them and do what they are called to do to take care of the flock as well, Lord. As we read in the Bible, Lord, and it's common sense that it's not just two or three, but more that are gathered together with the same direction, with the same goal, can strengthen unto holiness and righteousness. We pray that, Lord, to our Presbyterian, our denomination, God, and for all the churches that name the name of Christ Jesus, that we would be with them, Lord, They don't have to be part of our denomination to be faithful to you and to follow you, Lord. Of course, they follow you in accordance to their conscience, and we pray for them and their strength and their growth and holiness and the truth of your word. We pray, Lord, for the beauty of your church and her collective sanctification, to be more like Jesus, to be less like the sins of this world. We pray for our own sanctification, God, that we would grow into holiness, to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. To love, Lord, in accordance to your word, in accordance to your law, not accordance to as the world defines love, which is lust and license and excuses for wickedness and wretchedness. May we continue to read your word. May we continue to pray in accordance to your word. May we sing psalms and hymns, Lord, not just on Sunday, but throughout the week in our hearts, as we are admonished in Colossians. And God, may we have sweet fellowship with one another to pray and to be concerned for one another, to rejoice when good things happen, God, to know that we are the family of God. To that end, Lord, may we continue in thought, word, and deed, to be more like you, to be more obedient to your word, to trust you, Lord, in your gospel, to learn more of Jesus Christ and of theology, which is but the study of who you are, God Almighty, and the things you have done for us and promised for us in the gospel. As we gather this morning, may we, focus upon you. May we cast aside all distractions. May we, Lord, not have what is around us turn our eyes away from your word. But rather, God, to focus upon you, to meditate upon you, to draw close to you. By your grace and mercy we pray. Amen. We now have the tithes and offerings. thank you, God Almighty, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the life you've given us here in America and the prosperity that we have. And we thank you, God, for the ability to give these tithes and offerings, which are but a token, a part of the whole, of our whole life, God, committed to you. May they be used wisely, may it be used expansively, God, for your kingdom's sake and your glorious name. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to go ahead uh, to the sermon. As I said, we're not having the Lord's Supper. None of my elders are here. <laughs> And the one elder who has COVID, I was hanging out with him Wednesday night on an eight-hour drive from the Dakotas to the Presbytery meeting. So I'm going to wear a mask near you. We're going to go home early ourselves. My our wife usually makes the coffee and, and whatnot and treats. So sorry for the guests. Like, today's the day we have guests. And we have nothing for them except our hand of fellowship, maybe not my hand, um, and uh, our, our, our love of Christ, I pray. So come uh, meet us. We'll meet you. We'll come to you first, I'm sure. We are in Deuteronomy 32, Deuteronomy 32, verses 44 to 47, Deuteronomy 32, 44 to 47, Let us listen attentively to the Word of God. This is not the Word of man. Deuteronomy 32, 44 to 47, the fourth book, fifth book uh, uh, from Genesis in the beginning of the Bible. So Moses came with Joshua, the son of Nun, and spoke all the words of this song in the hearing of the people. Moses finished speaking all these words to all Israel, and he said to them, Set your hearts on all the words which I testify among you today, which you shall command your children to be careful to observe, all the words of this law. For it is not a futile thing for you, because it is your life, and by this word you shall prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. Let us pray. With these words, God, near the end of the book of Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law, we read Lord Moses' admonition at the end. He really wants them to hear and learn this, after all that they've heard, God, that they must set their hearts, as we read elsewhere in Deuteronomy, to cling, God, to you and to your words, for they are life. Help us, God, we pray, in this day and age of darkness and death, that we would be encouraged here As they were encouraged, God, not admonished as much as urged, Lord, to persevere and to listen to your word, to set our hearts upon the Bible, because that is where we learn the words of life, which are Christ Jesus, we pray for our growth and sanctification from this text. Amen. Sanctification without God's word is like a train without tracks, an airplane without wings. This is one reason why many Christians struggle with spiritual maturity in this day and age, at least in my experience, because they have very little direction, or rather, they have direction, but they haven't been using it in reading the Bible. After hundreds of years in Egypt, the people of God needed this urging by Moses. Old habits die hard, but repetition and urgings can help make up, perhaps, for the lost years of reading. They had nothing, brothers and sisters, living in raw paganism around them. They were set off, as you know, in the land of Goshen and Goshen and separated and were made into slaves. They suffered for hundreds of years for their faith, but they were so little in knowledge. And God gave them a great ocean of information and knowledge and growth through Moses, through the giving of the book of Deuteronomy written by Moses. So he urges them here with that context that they can overcome those, that deficiency of knowledge, that ignorance of the word of God. And so with the newly written book of the law, the church leader here takes the opportunity to drive home the point to the Old Testament church that it should depend upon God by following his revealed will as found in the Bible, not found through voices in their head, not found through other books across the world, not found in the images of the sky, but rather in the Bible. The Word of the living God. And to that end, he urges the Jews to take the Word of God seriously, and for their children. And this call is for us as well. For we also have the book of Deuteronomy. We have more. And because we have more, we have a greater responsibility to learn and grow in our knowledge of the Word of God. And so let us go here to be encouraged, I pray, to stand firm in what we know is right, which is to learn and grow and to set our hearts, to set our lives upon God's Word. To set your heart upon the Word is the first point. Set your heart upon the Word. And the second point is to carefully obey the Word. Carefully obey the Word. Set your heart upon the Word. These are the last words by Moses to his people. One of the greatest leaders of human history that few know about, is Moses. Maybe they've heard the name in America. More and more people, unfortunately, know less and less. At least uh, the older generation heard something. Maybe they saw Moses from Cecil B. de Mille in the 50s or something. Oh, I've heard of that guy. He was a great and mighty man of God, although he was also a sinner like us, and humbled by God and his grace. And here, at the end of his life, he is not thinking of himself as leaders or not to think of themselves unduly, but thinking of his people and urging them, urging them with all seriousness to take the word of God to their hearts. Now, he says here, uh, as we read in the opening verses, that he had finished the song here, uh, to the people of God, praising the Lord, and he finishes it, and he tells them in verse 46, Set your hearts on all the words which I testify among you today. Not his words, but the words that he testifies, because he is but a mouthpiece for God. A mouthpiece, again, that we no longer have, for he has written them down, that that is sufficient for us. This is the testimony of Moses, for he testifies that he's witnesses of God's word and truth to us. And we are to listen and to set our hearts upon us. What is the heart here, he speaks of. In the American context, often, at least the way I grew up, you hear of heart, you hear of emotions. You think of Valentine's Day, or something like that. A little heart here, and oh, I love you, and I have a pitter-patter going on. That's not what he's talking about. In the Hebraic way of thinking, they use concrete imagery. Don't let your feet walk to bloodshed, right? Don't let your hands, uh, you know, steal from your neighbor. And don't let your heart, the physical heart, which is a shorthand for all that is within you. Without your heart, you're dead. Without your soul, you're dead. Your mind, your will, your emotions, your conscience, that's what he means by the heart. To set your heart, all that is within you, to purpose it, and set it upon God Almighty and His Word. It's the question of what you are committed to, is what he's talking about, to set your heart on the right path of God's Word, not the wrong path of the wickedness of this world. When we are committed to something in life, when we really enjoy it, it comes a little easier sometimes. Not always. Some things are very hard, like math is always going to be hard for most of us, I'm sure. Even if you like math, it can still be hard. But often things like, comes to mind sports, maybe it comes to mind because I'm not really into sports, so I'm not trying to pick on you, but you learn the statistics very well, the stats, because you really like the subject matter. You really like politics, you really like the books you read, your neighborhood, or wine. Like I mentioned, my neighborhood is a wine connoisseur, he's going to know all the details, and it comes readily to mind because he set his heart upon learning about wine. And that's fine as far as it goes, as long as the wine isn't more important than God, as long as your sports are not more important than God. But when you set your heart on something, there's going to be fruits from it, right? You're going to have it a little more readily available to you when all things are considered equal and there are no distractions. To set your heart here is echoed elsewhere in the Word of God. Proverbs, for example, Proverbs 4.21, Uh, we're going through parts of Proverbs in the afternoon. Proverbs 4.21, we read, Do not let them depart from your eyes, that is the law of God. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Right, It's important for us to keep God's word in our heart and our mind. Deuteronomy 11.18, earlier on in the book of the giving of the law, Deuteronomy 11.18, we read, Therefore, you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart, not just set, but lay them up like a treasure, and in your soul and bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Even to this day, the most orthodox of orthodox Jews, wear the phylacteries they're called, right, right up here, a little piece of the law of God is written there. They take it from this passage and elsewhere in Deuteronomy, as literal, when God ultimately met it in their hearts, literally in their hearts, in the sense of their soul, their mind. Do you memorize it? Do you believe it? Do you love the law of God? Do you love the word of God and what he tells you? And so setting your heart upon it, he's telling them to make this the focus of our life, the word of God, not just the laws, we'll talk a little later, the gospel as well, the fullness of the word of God, the Bible. But here, the other language is to lay up in your heart, like you lay up treasures for this world. Lay up for a rainy day, perhaps, but here you lay up in our hearts for moral necessity, God's word, so that we can be protected from sin, that we can be directed and guided towards Jesus Christ or whatever we need the Word of God has for us in our Christian life. Psalm 119 is yet another passage about the heart, reminding us again that the Old Testament religion is the New Testament religion, but just more of a childish form. They had the temple, they had the ceremonies, they had the priest, right? I get that from Galatians 4, right? They were children under a tutor. That's what I mean. But it's a religion of the heart. It was never external. The Pharisees made it external. They twisted the truth of the Old Testament. And Christ lamb-blasted them for it, didn't he? And so here, Psalm 119, again, about the heart. Your word I have hidden in my heart. Not just laid, not just set up, but hide as well. All these different ways and metaphors describing we take the word of God seriously. That's what... Moses is urging his people, and he's urging us today if he were here with us. To set your heart upon the Word of God means at least two things, necessarily. When he says in verse 46, Set your heart on all the words which I testify, which obviously is the Word of God. Set your heart on the Word of God, for it is your life, verse 47. To set upon your heart is to believe it first and foremost. You will not pursue sports. You will not pursue wine. You will not pursue drafting or creating things or cars if you don't really believe in it. Think it's made up? No. You have to believe in the Word of God to set your heart upon it. And you must follow it. God is not happy with someone saying, I believe, I trust, but I'm not really interested in doing whatever the Word of God says. You're like, what are you talking about? (laughs) This, This is not Christianity. It was not Christianity in the Old Testament. So that's necessary what's involved here. In some of the best ways, he doesn't give it to us. He assumes that we know some common sense or we're going to have access to Proverbs, which tells us a lot of practical ways in which to have a Christian living. The best way to set your heart upon the Word of God is to practice the Word of God. It tells you to keep the Lord's day holy, keep the Lord's day holy. It tells you to worship Him and only Him, worship Him and only Him. It tells you to love your neighbor and not lie about your neighbor, don't lie about your neighbor. It tells you to love your wife to lead your wife, tells your wife to submit to their husband. These are the ways in which you set your heart. Reinforcing right what you have, because born-again believers have this natively, like a child must breathe. Uh, a born-again believer will believe and will want to live and strive to live, and you must keep learning to walk the Christian walk, even though you may stumble. That's one of the basic ways in which we can practice what Moses wants them to practice, which is to set your heart upon God's Word. Memorize it. Read it. You may forget things. That happens. You may not read a lot. That's fine. You don't have to be a super holy Christian. Why, you know, why, we all get together here and read five chapters a day together. That's No, just read a little bit. Over the years, over the months, over the days, it will build up in your life. For a righteous man may fall seven times, we read in Proverbs, and rise again. You keep going, you keep persevering because you're setting your heart upon the Word of God. The Word of God here, in particular, is Deuteronomy, he's speaking of, but Moses is excluding the rest of the new coming revelation because Moses is guided by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not contradicting himself. And so, it is not just Deuteronomy only, but the entirety of the Word of God, ultimately. But of course, Deuteronomy, as the word is from the Latin, the second giving of the law, because lots of law here, law codes, social or public justice. Unfortunately, social justice has been taken from us, so I'll use the word public justice. It is there, but so is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is law and gospel, as our forefathers always reminded us, and it's clearly in the Bible. The law is what we are commanded to do, and the gospel is what we are to believe, to believe in Jesus Christ and to trust in him that he works in us in spite of our sins, in spite of failing and violating his law, we get up, as we read there in Proverbs, the righteous man falls seven times, but rises again and again because we have the Spirit of God within us. And so the word he speaks of here is specifically Deuteronomy for them, and for us today, Deuteronomy plus more, the rest of the revelation of God's Word, and it's in general the law and the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ. And he tells them to set their hearts on the words which they testify among you today, which you shall command your children to carefully observe, to be careful in their observation of the law of God. So the setting of the heart is not just for yourself. Christianity has never been a me and only me religion. It's me and my family. The Old Testament clearly had it. The New Testament has household baptisms and Acts. And so we are urged here and in the New Testament to instruct our children that they too would set their hearts and set their lives upon the Word of God. And in fact, the understanding made explicit elsewhere in the Psalms is that our children shall be like arrows, a quiverful, and they shall be shot, as it were, further than we've ever gone because they are supposed to build upon our foundation and become more godly and more holy because they have so much treasure that many of us did not have when we were growing up spiritual treasure, the treasure of the Word of God. So the children are urged here. Our offspring, we are to instruct them in the law of God. And unfortunately in this day and age, with the growth again of, it seems, some, some sort of neo-paganism as it were in America and a great darkening upon our land, uh, more and more families and parents have little knowledge of God's Word and His law. And we need to help them, and come alongside them and help them and instruct them with all humility and so that they may set their hearts and they may command their children to be careful to observe all that God has given us. The words of this law. The words of God. It is God's gift for our children. We have many things to give them, and we should, to take care of their body and inheritance. The greatest inheritance, bar none, is God's word. I would rather have a poor pauper of a child than a rich heathen of a child. We ought to have that. Instruct our children. I want them to be rich. Abraham was rich and godly. <laughs> I want my daughter to be rich and godly. But there's a choice, and then we're, we're seeing that choice more and more, unfortunately. We have to choose. Godliness first. Always godliness first. Proverbs highlights that, right? This hammers at home. Love the law of God. Wisdom, knowledge, discernment, discretion begins in the word of God. Our children have to have this. They should have it so that we, they would also love and instruct our children. The basis of this instruction is Genesis eighteen nineteen. The instruction of our children, not just what even unbelievers know, that their children have to learn something. They're ignorant. They gotta go to school, they gotta learn things of life, they gotta have practical life skills. And Christians above all should believe in that heartily. But we have one more thing they have to learn as well, which is God's word, which the unbeliever does not have. Genesis 18, 19 for I have known him, that is God, speaking of Moses of Abraham, in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they Keep the way of the Lord, to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. Belt in to the covenant of grace, that covenant in which God from eternity past deigned and designed through the members of the Trinity to save their people from their sins, to promise to save us, to promise to us, and that we through Christ, who is the mediator of the covenant, he represents us, he's our advocate who lived and died for us. Part of that covenant is the call given to Abraham, and thus to us as well, that we command our children and our household after us to follow that covenant, to submit to Jesus, and to love him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is a noble and high calling, and it overlaps what we'll hear about in Proverbs this afternoon, about the family, the importance of the family in the book of Proverbs, the Curses upon those who reject uh, the word of their parents, the law of their parents, which of course is supposed to be the law of God, the law of the covenant, the law of Genesis eighteen nineteen. God's grace, and they should follow Him. Children are members of God's family, and we must teach them by reading, teaching, and praying, and living, and practicing Christianity before them, and humility. Even as we sin as parents, if we sin against our child, we should ask for repentance. If we lied against our child, it's as simple as that. That's very humbling. At the same time we lead them, they need to learn that we are the parents and that they should follow our lead and listen to us. Unless we tell them to sin, they ought to obey. And that's part of Christian education. And for us, of course, with our children growing up grown up, and left the household, now what? Well, you're an example to children here, an example to children elsewhere, Christian children. They see you, they watch, children are observant. And you can also urge them to follow the Lord in his words, to set their hearts upon God's word. You can be a living example for them, for them and even warn them by your own example, perhaps, in your own lifestyle, as the book of Proverbs does, that you grew up in. So we teach our children our ways. Give them knowledge of the word of, of God, memorization of the word of God, reading the word of God, so that we can say with Joshua... And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Because Joshua set his heart on the word of God. Joshua lived this admonition in Deuteronomy uh, 46 by Moses. He was there with Moses when he gave this urging. And so I urge us to persevere. And even if all our neighbors and our family and our friends serve money, house, health, we will serve the Lord. So that's the first point, to set our hearts upon God's Word. The second point is to carefully obey God's Word. To carefully obey God's Word. So he says here, you shall command your children to be careful To observe. Now, obviously, I think it's obvious that he's not saying you don't have to be careful, but your kids have to be careful. But rather, you are being careful, and in your carefulness, you ought to be careful, instruct your children to be careful as well of God's word. To whole handle it as a holy thing, not as something common. We know what carefulness is, because we're careful when we have to be careful, we want to be careful about our reputation, about our job, about our house about not offending your boss, or whatever the case is. When you think think it's significant enough, when you think it's important enough, either the act itself or the consequences from not being careful enough, you will be careful. And it's that kind of carefulness that we ought to have with the Word of God above all. Not to use it lightly. Not to ignore it. Not to be ignorant. Not to be sloppy with it. To be exact, but not the exactness of scientific carefulness of going to the 1 100th place, as it were. But as careful as the situation dictates to understanding and applying the Word of God. So, for example, in the Proverbs, as we're going over in the afternoon, we know uh, there are general admonitions. Carefulness in that case is to understand that it is a general admonition. It's a proverb that sometimes has exceptions to the rule. So that's being careful with the Word of God. On the other hand, carefulness, of course, is the more obvious. When God says not to murder, he also means not to be murdering in your heart. Be careful to apply the law of God where it's supposed to apply, which is not just with your hands, like the Pharisees thought, but also with your heart. So carefulness depends upon the particular law and the particular genre uh, of the literature of the Bible. And of course... The carefulness he emphasizes here, to be careful to observe, not just to stare at, but to live it out, all the words of this law. Now the word Torah there, law, doesn't have to mean law as opposed to gospel. It just can mean the word or what God commands. God commands the gospel, right? It's, a, it's not a suggestion that you should be saved. The whole world is called, whenever they hear the gospel call from your mouth or mine, you must submit to Jesus Christ, repent of your sins, and you shall be saved and believe in him. So that word Torah could include that. So it's the Ten Commandments, the law, it's the gospel, it's all that we are called upon in God's word. And he gives a reason, verse 47 is a reason to instruct your children to be careful to observe, and that we ought to be careful to observe by extension. It's a reason. For it is not a futile thing, because it is your life. So he says it negatively. It's not a futile thing. It's not vain. It's not a waste of your time to follow God and his word. But it's rather the source of life, of that which is good. And it's a twofold life, as we know from the rest of the Bible, a physical life and the spiritual life, The physical life of prolonging your days in the land, as he reads here, and when you go into Jordan to possess it, go across the Jordan to possess it, he's urging and speaking to his covenant audience, to the church of the Old Testament, who should know that the land was always temporary, that the land was not heaven, (laughs) Uh, that the land was given as a sign, a symbol of heaven to come, and of their battle and their hearts against the world, the flesh, and the devil. God gave it to them as a temporary thing, like he gave the temple and everything else. They should have known that. The more instructed, the more open, the more humble Christians knew these things. The more humble followers of the Old Testament knew these things. But the physical life promise was still there. God gave them the promise that he would protect them, for example. Don't make a big army, he said, for I'm going to be your nuke, as it were. (laughs) I'm going to go in there, I'm going to take out the Canaanites for you. Nevertheless, they still had to fight, right? We're going through this Wednesday night when we go through 1 Samuel. They still had to fight. They still had to use the means God gave them to grow outwardly here in material prosperity, which God clearly gave them in the Promised Land. But that material prosperity is not a given. They still lost it at times. Some of them still got sick. David talks about him being sick, apparently, got some serious ailment, almost took him to death, we read in one of the Psalms. So it's a general promise that God applies as he wills, the physical promise, but the greater promise behind the physical promise, which is but a shadow of eternal life. The words of God are life. My words are life, Jesus tells us in John. If you want to have living waters, you must have the words of Jesus Christ and believe and trust in him. Feed upon Christ, which is another way of saying trust in him. An intimate action of the soul. And so the way and in sense in which the word of God is your life is not in the sense that it is a life replacing God. God, obviously, is the source of life. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the Word of God is an instrument of that source of life. Moses isn't confused here, thinking, somehow, if I just eat this Bible, I'll have eternal life. But rather, he's speaking in a shorthanded way to say, you want to learn more about heaven, you go to the Bible, and the Bible points you to Jesus. That's how the Word of God is life. And it's life in a twofold sense. Both with respect to, to justification, our right standing in the law and courts of God in heaven, we have eternal life. We should never be condemned. Justification never changes. And also with respect to sanctification. If you don't obey the law of God, and I can guarantee you, you've done that at least once in your life as a Christian. You've disobeyed somewhere, somehow. You're going to have consequences for it. Sometimes the consequences last you for the rest of your life. Right, You do drugs, you can mess up your brain for the rest of your life. Being a Christian doesn't heal your brain. I'm sorry, I wish it did. I would be better right now. (laughs) It doesn't. And so in that sense, it's your life. It protects you as we're going through Proverbs right, from the foolishness of life and how it destroys families and marriages and societies. The fruits of disobedience are still there upon the Christian, although God often curbs the full effects of it for the Christian as only he can, in his way. And so in that sense, it is also life. So it's life as in we have eternal security in Christ Jesus, but it's also life in living this world and this life, to protect your body and to protect your soul, obey God's law. And if you don't, as a Christian, God will punish you as a father punishes his child, and so your life will be hindered that to that extent. So it's a twofold sense of how the law of God is the source of life. Not because you obey enough and get to heaven, Christ obeyed for you. But rather, because your sanctification is hindered, you will have effects of sin in your life here and now, and ultimately God will preserve and purify you. This is a call, brothers and sisters, to a godly life. He is urging them to a godly life in the context of the Old Testament and for us today. To set our hearts anew upon God's word. Do not give up that truth when everyone else around us mocks us for believing in the Bible. And be careful in observing God's law and not handle it as though it were the word of man as it's full of suggestions. But it's the law of God, it's the gospel of God, it's the good news, it's the path of life for all of us as Christians, the holy life of sanctification. Young and old, in the faith, you have this reminder for us to set our hearts on the word of God, which I testify among you today, although I am not Moses, which you shall command your children to be careful to observe all the words of this law. Let us pray. We thank you, God, for your word. We thank you, Lord. In fact, that this is a good news because Moses is urging them because he assumes they are believers, as we can only read the outward hearts of actions of men and never the inward hearts of men. And so, God, we who are believers, who trust in you, are not playing Christianity. We have this urging for us today, to set our hearts, or as it were, to set, reset our hearts, to renew our lives to you again, and to be careful in observing all that you have given us in your Word, God. By your Spirit we pray. Amen. Let us stand and let us sing. Again, not in the here, here in your bulletin. It is hymn 138A, 138A. grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon you all.